Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. Last week in a major decision, the U.S. Supreme Court legalized gay marriage throughout the entire country. It was a long time coming and an amazing victory for equality. Uh, When I was a kid growing up in the 1980s and 1990s, gay marriage was kind of a weird fringe idea. There were plenty of people, even liberal people, like my parents and teachers, who said that they were for gay rights, but not necessarily for gay marriage. Marriage, they thought, was something distinct and decidedly heterosexual. And how quickly that has changed in my own lifetime, right before all of our eyes. Gay marriage is now the law of the land, and I'm personally thrilled about that. I'm very happy to have seen the U.S. become a more free, more equal place than it was even a week ago. But, of course, there were dissents. In particular, Chief Justice John Roberts had a dissent that made me cringe quite a bit when I read about it. Roberts opposed making gay marriage legal, And here's the big quote from his dissent that a whole lot of media outlets jumped on. He wrote, The court invalidates the marriage laws of more than half the states and orders the transformation of a social institution that has formed the basis of human society for millennia. For the Kalahari Bushmen and the Han Chinese, the Carthaginians and the Aztecs, just who do we think we are? I'm a huge fan of history, obviously. But I do my best not to get nostalgic for it, or identify with it. And even though I'm intensely interested in everything that came before us, I don't think that we should necessarily model our society on the people of the past. When I see something like Roberts citing tradition as the reason to do something or not do something, I often think of it as a version of the logical fallacy of the appeal to authority, and a few people have called this the appeal to history or the appeal to antiquity. Also, side note, mentioning the Aztecs, a militaristic theocracy that practiced slavery and human sacrifice, is a little weird, to say the least. And Roberts is not only weird in his citation, he's also downright wrong. Uh, The Aztec nobility, they did generally have multiple wives and or concubines. If you're going to cite an ancient Mesoamerican civilization, cite the Mayans. The Mayans, they were pretty great, but I digress. Roberts, though, was not the only one who was doing this kind of thing. He was not the only one in the gay marriage conversation that was appealing to history and to antiquity. Soon after the Supreme Court's decision, a whole lot of websites, blogs, and the like started posting things about how, in fact, Gay marriage had been around for a long time. Uh, In my various social media feeds, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, etc., I saw folks linking to a few different articles and pop history blogs about how the early Christian church did, in fact, sanctify homosexual relationships about a thousand years ago, and that a secret history of gay marriages in medieval Europe had been mostly covered up for a millennium. It's an appealing contention. And I can understand why my social media friends would want to share articles like that. The idea of gay marriage existing back in the way early days of the church, and then falling out of favor and then getting covered up, that validates their opinions. But when I looked into this, things turned out to be a bit more complicated. A lot of these various articles about ancient gay marriage, and I'll link to them over on interestingtimespodcast.com, 
Uh, they went back to the work of one historian, a guy called John Boswell, who wrote two major books about homosexuality in medieval Europe in the 1980s. There were two books called Same-Sex Unions in Pre-Modern Europe and another called Christianity, Social Tolerance, and Homosexuality, Gay People in Western Europe from the Beginning of the Christian Era to the 14th Century. And Boswell charted the history of sexuality in medieval Europe and also attitudes towards homosexuality by the church and by the lay people throughout Europe. But what really got everyone excited and interested in in his work and what various media outlets were referring to when they were writing headlines about medieval gay marriage was a ritual called Adelphopoesis. Adelphopoesis was a ritual practiced by different branches of Christianity, uh, Western Catholicism and Byzantine Christianity, up until about the 1700s. And it was a ritual that sanctified the relationship between two men, and we are talking about men here. Boswell, he did not get into women and women relationships. He was mostly concerned with dudes. Where two men, they would exchange vows, be blessed by a priest, and they would perform actions like clasping their hands or kissing to sanctify their unions. And Boswell's most high-profile power couple, and his best example of this, was a pair of saints, uh, St. Sergius and St. Bacchus, uh, two Byzantine saints who underwent the ritual and in icons and art are always depicted together in a way that could be read as kind of couple-like. Obviously, this view of Boswell's has been controversial ever since it popped up in the 1980s. A lot of other historians have taken issue with his characterization of Adelpho Poesis. And the controversies and disagreements about Boswell's work and about Adelpho Poesis don't focus on whether or not this ritual existed. It did. It definitely did. But what it meant. Boswell claimed that this Christian rite was performed to sanctify and formalize homosexual unions. But a substantial amount of scholarship also suggests that it was more of a brotherhood ritual. The idea of formalizing your relationships with the other dudes in your life, the other dudes who you might be killing people with, uh, that is not unknown at all. Various European and Asiatic societies have had kind of respect for and acknowledgement of the relationships between guys who are friends, co-workers, brothers-in-arms, but not, you know, bio-brothers. Most of what I found when I was digging around history journals for works by Boswell or critiques of him were articles that disputed his characterization of Adelpho Poesis as a brotherhood ritual rather than a formalization of same-sex romance. Over and over, writers emphasized that it was a formalization of kinship bonds more so than sexual ones. However, I also want to add that the papers that I dug up on places like JSTOR and Google Scholar, which are great places for a layperson to find academic writing, by the way, tended to be from universities that had religious affiliations or from academic journals that had religious affiliations. This is not to say that an academic associated with a religiously affiliated university cannot do good work. They certainly can. But when I saw a paper that was published by a Catholic university press about church history, I wanted to be cognizant of the greater possibility of ideological bias, especially about sex and religion. Now, it worked the other direction as well. Boswell, he also had 
ideological biases of his own. He was a gay man and also a devout Catholic. And I do mean devout. This was a guy who went to Mass every single day. So, obviously, he too would have a certain amount of ideological biases that would color his own scholarship. Um, this is complete conjecture on my part, but a devoutly religious person like him and a gay person, I imagine, would want to do everything they could to resolve those two warring parts of their self. So, I was not able to find much of anything by other historians who corroborated Boswell's claims, which I will admit I found disappointing. Here's the episode that I wanted to do. The episode that I first started thinking of when I got the news about gay marriage on Friday morning. I wanted to give you guys an episode that was all about how the early church did, in fact, allow for a type of gay marriage. But my only source on that, and the media's only source on that, is Boswell, really. That's one guy. I'm not willing to say something is true just because one historian has said it's true. So, I can't really tell you what the real nature of Adelphopoesis was. I try to be a skeptic when reading and talking about history, and this is a case where all I can give you is my own ignorance and conjecture. So here it is, my own ignorance and conjecture. I think in all likelihood that Adelphopoesis was probably sometimes performed for non-sexual unions and probably sometimes performed for sexual ones. Even if the ritual and arrangement wasn't specifically sexual, it still could have been used to formalize and sanctify homosexual relationships depending upon the mores of the time and the place where Adelphopoesis was performed. Though the two men who were joined were technically brothers, it was still a way to have church and legal acknowledgement of their relationship. And there's a rough analog to this, and very rough. Remember, you can't really draw straight lines from history to the present. And that was the use of adoption by gay people before civil unions or gay marriage. Uh, and adoption was a way to give legal basis for a relationship. And I know that the idea of one partner adopting another might sound a little odd, and hearing it might be triggering to your incest taboo, but keep in mind that this was a way to formalize and secure certain rights, like inheritance, for the relationship. So, I don't think it's at all inconceivable that a lot of the Adelphopoesis unions were homosexual unions. In fact, I think it would have been weird if there weren't any gay guys who used this right to solidify their bond. However, it also seems that it was not specifically a homosexual union or ritual. It was not, as lots of headlines and blogs have declared it to be, medieval gay marriage, even though I kind of wish it was, because that makes it a much better story. Uh, and that word marriage is sort of difficult. Um, and yes, officially recognized sexual relationships have existed for some time, but I also think that what we have in the modern world, egalitarian, officially recognized uh, sexual relationships that, if need be, may be terminated by the involved parties at any time with minimal risk of social ostracism, is fairly new. The marriage of 2015 wouldn't look like the marriage from 1915. So calling something marriage now and calling something marriage then, well, you have different gender roles, different expectations, different legal frameworks, and ultimately a different institution, even though there's the same name. Not, though, that any of this matters. Appealing to history the way Justice Roberts did and saying that something has always been a certain way does not prove that that thing is right. The appeal to history is, again, 
really just another version of the appeal to authority fallacy. And you can't simply draw a straight line from a point in the past to the present. The road to history, it bends, it swerves, it's confounded by all kinds of different variables, and it is continually tempting to look at folks in the past and try to identify with them to see yourself and their words and deeds and beliefs. But there is not a direct route from them to you. John Roberts, in his descent, was trying to draw a line from the past to himself. John Boswell, with his work, was trying to do the same thing. And I understand that urge. I get it. I find myself trying to identify with the past all the time, and I fight against it. I want to keep myself at arm's length from the past, so hopefully I can see it more clearly. But the past world is not our world, even though our world proceeds from it. Our ancestors are not us, though we proceed from them. Every day, the world, our understanding of it, and human culture evolves. We know things that our ancestors never could have. That means we do things that they never could have. We believe things that they never could have. We are people they never could have been, and for the most part, I think, our accumulated knowledge and experience has made the world a better place. I do not think it matters if gay marriage was or was not the norm in the past. What matters is that we now have decided that it is right. The imagined approval or disapproval of our ancestors, I do not think, bears upon the truth that we now embrace. It is not up to us to recreate the past, but to make the future. Interesting Times is recorded at the offices of Portland's X-Ray FM 91.1 and 107.1 in Portland, Oregon. Our engineer is Arthur Rosado. Also, this podcast, it is entirely ad-free and supported by Patreon. I would like to thank the various people who subscribe via Patreon, including Ellery Sills. Thank you very much, Ellery, for your support. Uh, if you would like to become a supporter, and I think you should become a supporter, go to interestingtimespodcast.com, click on Support Interesting Times on Patreon, and do that thing. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash times with Joe Streckert. I'm on Twitter, Tumblr, all of that. Thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.